Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Film Detectives. Today we explore the more mystical side of cinema. Wujia, or termed martial heroes in Chinese, has become a staple of China's heritage and their cinematic language. Mixing myth with martial arts, Wujia films have developed over the years a specific visual language all under their own. We will be looking at two films today, one by King Hu, Dragon Inn, made in 1967, which centers on a group of ragtag martial arts masters who have to fend off the forces of the empire. Dragon Inn pushed forth wirework stunts and brought the Wujia myths into the mainstream world of cinema. The other film, directed by Zhang Yimou, Shadow, made in 2018, to finally achieve victory over a rival kingdom, a brilliant general devises a plan involving his wife, a lookalike, and two kings. Shadow represents the culmination of the Wujia cinematic tradition. It joins the ranks of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the House of Flying Daggers. There's a lot to say about these two movies. First off, this kind of introduces us into the world of Wujia or martial heroes. That's what it means in Chinese. And the Wujia film genre has pretty much been around since like the 60s, starting with King Hu and his films such as Dragon Inn, Come Drink With Me, also A Touch of Zen is another one of his films. He did a series of these that really propelled the Chinese film business to really adopt usually films centered around a certain hero that has to perform certain acts of chivalry. And also the adventures usually take place in certain parts of ancient China or ancient Chinese history. Pretty much China's set of myths and stories. So basically like what the Greeks have with, you know, Greek mythology and such. Exactly. This is their version of myths and legends. And they've kind of adapted them from certain novels and stories that have been told over thousands upon thousands of years. And most notably, Three Kingdoms, The Monkey King. Those are several tales that have been like redone and and made into film adaptations multiple ways over many years. And they all kind of draw from this era during the 60s when, especially King Hu, he really started messing around with stunt work and wire work in films especially in martial art movies, so that they were basically playing with special effects. You know, they were really pushing the the envelope on this before Matrix, you had Dragon in. Yeah, and you can see the birth of, you know, what the Matrix became from Dragon Inn. And although, although, you know, it is quite corny. Oh, yeah. Um, you could definitely put Benny Hill music over this and it would be, it'd be a route, right? But it's where they started. Yeah. The funny thing also, it, it kind of reminded me of a black exploitation film, but for China, <laughs> in a way, just because of the sense of humor that it's so everything's on the nose and they're very uh, self-aware of what type of movie they're making. They're not like trying to be super serious about the subject matter they they have a lot of fun with it it almost has a very theater like feel to it it ha- it plays off like almost a like an opera that's unfolding in front of us because for example the location that they're in the dragon inn the whole film pretty much takes place in the inn yeah they all kind of funnel through the dragon inn this kind of meeting place where the soldiers go to rest and are trying to find these escaped convicts uh, or rebels of the 
Empire sounds very much like Star Wars. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, have to then fight the heroes who are these, it's like a ragtag bunch of martial artists that they're not part of the caste system. They're not part of- These are not the samurai you're looking for. They're, they're almost like samurai in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which <laughs> it, it has a very Akira Kurosawa feel because- of just how it creates like an almost Western gunslinger type style of film. It, you, you were talking about how it's like a theatrical, almost like a stage play in opera. You know, I also kind of attribute that to the wide shots. You know, there's so many when you're in, a, you know, when you're at a theater, you're seeing the whole stage at one time, much like when most of the shots in this film, when they take place inside the inn, are very wide or anytime there's a big battle scene or just, you know, everybody's sitting down eating. It's just a very wide shot to cover the base of the whole room. And then the whole room kind of just reacts. And then we eventually will, you know, focus on certain characters based on what's happening, but you're always aware of what's going on around all the other characters at the same time. Exactly. And they cut fast to close-ups of the characters to make an impact, especially since, you know, digital technology back then wasn't really a thing. They had to use editing and actually blend certain cells of the of the film itself together to make overlays and and make it look very ethereal on certain spots there was a good example would be the fight at the very end between the ragtag group wild. and and the <laughs> the emperor and he comes in and superman. he's he's he's, super, he's like this superman blonde chinese guy <laughs> who just like has all these great powers and stuff and the powers are and then they defeat him by their own mental capacity and also their power is that they can make themselves blend really fast and they start running around him in circles really quarterly. And speed it up. It's like, <laughs> It's just a wonderful moment because it's so archaic, but it works. It adds to the charm of the film too. You know, and going back to the, the wide shot, like again, they start with the wide shot they, and then they'll accent with close-ups. Very much like a John Ford film or um, most most notably, actually, a Sergio Leone spaghetti western almost. And it has that very spaghetti western feel to it. It's interesting you say spaghetti western because I was attributing, you know, when they have the battle scenes and the music builds up and crescendos, I was attributing that to your shootouts in the old Wild West, you know, the high noon things where the music slowly builds up and you get ready for your big battle. And it's pretty much the same thing here. I, I think King Who was definitely highly influenced by Western culture. And during that time is when and, you know, Leon was doing Once Upon a Time in the West. Also, you know, John Ford's Stagecoach had just come out. Western films were starting to be really big in uh, the States, uh, in, in the United States. And also with Japan, even since Japan's very close to China, I think a lot of influence came from there with Akira Kurosawa's films, especially Seven Samurai. I see a lot of Kurosawa in King Who's Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's very reminiscent of... It's very of, epic. It's got a very epic feel to it. That too. It it has that grandiose, epic that feel. That blockbuster. Big, long takes of just seeing the scenery and really bringing the viewer in with those long shots that just are so cinematic. He's definitely a master of cinematography. Oh, for sure. I mean, talking about cinematography, when they're up in the mountains in that final battle scene, absolutely just beautiful. And, you know, then watching Shadow and seeing how you can take darkness and make it just as beautiful as light. 
is just that was incredible to me just seeing the two differences but still such similar and their beauty just showing beauty in a different way with uh shadow zhang yamao really played with the lack of color in the film it's all black and white almost a opaque black and white tone to the look of the film very cool colors throughout the film exactly and only accented by someone's skin uh or blood i mean those are the only two colors so it's like usually the colors are like pink and blood red the rest is all grays blacks and whites highly contrasted against each other in the film but that's what i think he was going for because of the philosophy of yin and yang that comes up in the film. I mean, what an incredible film. I, I really honestly don't want to spoil it just because it's such a well-done story and the, the cinematography, like if you're a fan of cinematography, I can't recommend this film enough to watch. Oh my goodness, the shots with the slow motion and the rain and and the battle sequences with the rain coming down and oh, it, being a gamer, it made me think of like Mortal Kombat-esque type things. Like those, those battle scenes reminded me of like Mortal Kombat, like finish him. With with a lot of these Wujia martial art films, you had this explosion of entertainment in China that all these directors started making these Wujia films because their themes still had relevance to the year that they were shot in. And also these were timeless stories of the culture that they were just being revived at this time to bring it into a new age of technology. They can now actually shoot these types of films and portray their heroes, in their case, their superheroes, on screen in all its glory. You had the emergence of wire work in China with the stunt teams and such on films, you know, and it has just grown over the years, culminating into The Matrix and to even this film, Shadow. Yeah, and I even feel like you could compare it to some of the Marvel films that come out now. They have that similar hero's journey, right? They're not always the most flashy type of character, right? And then they somehow obtain powers. My biggest example I'm thinking of is, you know, Spider-Man. Peter Parker's a nerd. He's a, you know, a, a photographer. And he gets bitten by a radio. Yeah, he's not like a rich type he's of not guy. Iron Man. He's He's someone, he's an everyday guy who ascends to become a hero that pops up a lot in uh, mythology as well as um, just literature in general, especially in the Wujia films, because Wujia just really encapsulates that entire genre of the hero's journey and adding the sense of myth and awe that comes along with those stories. Yeah. And I, I feel like with Shadow... Like looking back, you know, I'm glad we watched Dragon. I'm glad I watched Dragon in first and then I watched Shadow because I don't think I would have had the same appreciation. I mean, yeah, Shadow's a fan- fantastic film. But if I would have watched Dragon in after Shadow, I'd be like, uh, I would I would have been very confused. Let's just say that it would be kind of a step backwards in a way because into the past. But, you know, in order to see where these films draw upon, it's a great example because King Who really I, I feel is one of the classic Wujia directors of China and really had a strong voice during that time of pushing these stories into the mainstream pop culture. And we wouldn't have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon without Dragon Inn. Someone has to start somewhere and then the subsequent film directors will then just 
pick up where the last one left off. Yeah, great artists steal from one another. Which is a continuing theme that comes up in film all the time. (laughs) Imagine that. But speaking of stealing, I was going to say, you know, the the characters that are present in Shadow reminded me a lot of, you know, similar characters that are in Dragon Inn. They all kind of have the same archetypes. What I find really interesting is how... Dragon Inn has a very strong female, almost lead character in the film, and they're equal to the man, which I found really interesting, especially during the 60s. Yeah. And and you see that kind of echoed in shadow with when he's training to, you know, get ready for his fight. He's trying to, you know, be the more aggressive strategy. And then Madame comes along and basically, you know, teaches him a more feminine way of fighting. And it works better for the attacker he's going against. And she's a super integral part of the story because of that. Because of her, he's able to actually defeat his opponent who he lost to, well, not lost to you know what i'm not i i guess i can spoil it that he actually didn't lose to but the other one lost to earlier on in his life because the the commander is blinded by revenge and he doesn't see what's right in front of him without his wife he wouldn't be there he wouldn't have that support and i think that's what that whole theme of yin and yang because you know without one you don't have the other and they have to blend to make a whole circle that's the whole kind of philosophy of yin and yang and you know and also light and dark you know so she's kind of seen as almost the light and he's seen as the dark revenge is dark and light the defense of those you love is the light yin is associated with darkness water and femininity and yang is associated with light fire and masculinity so as opposed to going yang which, you know, he would think would be the way to attack, you know, fight his opponent because he's a very aggressive leader himself. He tries the Yen way, which is actually the best way to fight an opponent like that with the strengths that they have, because like you said, they balance out. Also, Zhang Yimou really does brilliantly here with characters is he has a triptych in the characters, Madame, the commander, and then the double played by Chao Deng plays both Jing and also the commander, his his uh the guy who he's supposed to be doubling as. And because of that triptych, again, it's Jing kind of represents the lighter side, the hero side of who the commander should have been. It's funny because it that whole duality of people pretending to be who they're not and then finding out who they are, it pops up in Mulan, it pops up in Dragon Inn, the ragtag group of uh, characters that we see, especially when they meet, I think it's Uncle Wang, I believe. He's not who he seems to be. And then it's revealed and it's like, oh, he's actually this great martial artist. And same with Zhao, played by Chun Shi. She also is hiding her identity and pretending to be someone she's not. She pretends to be a man. Certain elements of Mulan are popping up in Dragon Inn. They all kind of draw upon these films. It's 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 amazing how this happens. And then, like you said, in Shadow, it's the same thing because the princess ends up dressing up to go to war for the ragtag side of the of the group, you know, against the king, basically. Yeah. And I think the the theme that is so prevalent in in both films is 
they are willing to do whatever they can to fight for justice and fight for chivalry. You know, even if they have to disguise themselves as men, because it is a very male dominant society, especially during ancient China, you know, 1457, I believe, is when Dragon Inn takes place. And during that time, it's it's a very medieval male dominated society and women you know, are just concubines. And it's the same also in Shadow. Women are just seen as a concubine, a a thing. The men don't realize that that's actually their main support system. And also they have a voice and they are strong characters to begin with. I mean, in Shadow, you have the sister of the king. She's an awesome warrior and her brother doesn't see that until it's too late when yeah basically she's been told to be a concubine and she says no <laughs> and proceeds to stab him in the yeah i love the poetic justice of that she returns her the dagger to her betrothed <laughs> she definitely by, returns it <laughs> by stabbing him in the neck and killing him it's it has a shakespearean type of flavor to it's it it's like which, a romeo juliet yeah. type thing <laughs> the death scene is very Shakespearean because they kind of just just say that, you know, (laughs) because they just start laying there. The rain is just pouring down and it's they're like it it almost again plays like a stage play. Also, we talked about it already, but I want one of those umbrellas so bad. Yes. Let's talk about the umbrellas, guys. uh, That scene with the umbrellas where they're (laughs) sliding down Down the hill and oh, and dodging all the arrows and stuff is insane. I've never seen anything as cinematic as that it's it's one of those moments where it's very unique to what the film is since we've kind of been building up the whole umbrella motif which is a form of defense that jing uses to fight one of the generals that they're trying to take out and kill and it's uh they then kind of (laughs) kick it into high gear and they stick blades on the umbrella and create mm-hmm. this almost death machine it's so cool rotating it, 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 you you need to see it guys i mean it's, you, you need to watch it's such a like <laughs> oh it's so cool <laughs> it's really hard to explain and give it justice because it's one of those scenes where it's just like i've never seen that before and it it's beautifully shot when he opens the umbrella the first time in the battle oh my goodness and you just and he spins it and you hear it and you're like oh and the sound design on that one he it, oh, it clicks my in goodness. it's it's like a snake almost like coiling up ready to strike it's really fascinating the sound design is opposite compared to dragons in dragons in sound design is um very um, interesting <laughs> i've i've never heard swords sound like that when they make contact with people let's just say that <laughs> Well, with Dragon Inn, like, it's made in the, the 60s, so they're I using know. what they... they just <laughs> I know, it It has that comedic comic book feel to it, because yeah. anytime the swords clash, it's so loud and clangy that I'm like, so, yeah, they sound like pings. I've never heard metal sound like that loud before, which is crazy. Um, I nearly just spit my water out. <laughs> That's good. Made, made Trevor Lewis's water. That's 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 good. Oh, it, man. That's how good the scene is, guys. So, um, <laughs> but I, I think with the sound design on that film, they were really experimenting with the genre because no one really had done films like that before, and it was pretty ambitious for the time too. I feel like King Who was just kind of like let's just let's just have fun with this film. 
because by the end of it, it's pretty absurd what's going on. If, if you know, watching that, like I've, we've talked about, that final battle scene is just when he's popping from tree to tree and they fly through the air like they're, you know, Superman and then they teleport to the other side. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not making this up. This really happens in the movie. Yeah. The guy's just like teleporting. He, he jumps from tree to tree. It, and the way they do it is they just cut really fast between. <laughs> he's like, he's in another tree. I'm like. Okay, <laughs> but in a funny way, you go with it. You just enjoy it for what it is and that this film really sets up what we now see in modern day films, especially martial arts films, because they all kind of derive from the Wuxia style. And especially if you're doing a Kung Fu movie or you're doing a martial arts movie, most likely you're drawing upon past martial art films that have been done. You know, Karate Kid, Matrix, all the Bruce Lee films, Enter the Dragon, you know, all these films like all kind of stem from pioneers like King Hu and really lend itself to drawing from the past. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about different shots and things like that, especially with Dragon Inn and Shadow. I wanted to talk about the cinematography because the shots, like there's there's still those big wide shots that we see in Dragon Inn, but there's a lot more, you know, close ups and things, very personal shots. But there's also a lot of just panning. And normally when they're panning the camera or tracking, tracking shots, there's always something in between, which I found really cool because it's almost like, you know, shadows you associate with being kind of mysterious and things like that. And with the movie already being dark and dingy and rainy and, and you know, it's just, it's just not a very happy looking movie overall. And especially when, you know, you have a character in front of those those different walls and such and their shadows are cast, especially the scene where uh, Jing and Madame finally connect. You know, they've been tr- they've been wanting to connect the whole time when he basically professes his love for her and she reciprocates and goes and finds him. And, you know, they they make love, basically. What I find interesting, though, is that's when we see a shadow and it's brilliantly done because the commander sees them having sex, but it they are obscured by a silk panel in front of them and we just see their shadows and it's hinted that they are, you know, making love to each other. The commander is seeing this and he gets very angry about this and feels betrayed himself. And that's another thing I was thinking, you know, the movie's ultimately called Shadow because of Jing, he's him. In that scene, the commander is seeing what he once had because that's his woman. He finally in that moment sees that revenge has led him to this point that it's literally pushed away his wife and the woman he loves and someone has taken his place. And by the end, revenge still consumes him and he pays for it. He literally is killed in the process in order to get his revenge. And and I feel like you could even argue in regards to Jing that maybe perhaps he becomes a lot more like the commander by the end of the film, especially after, you know, killing him and the king and then, you know, framing basically the commander that he did it. I mean, he did do it, but he didn't kill him. Jing actually killed the king because he's the one that stabs the final sword in and, and ends his life. And I think the way that's done, it sets up Jing as even though he is kind of a hero, he's almost like an anti-hero in a way at that moment, because in a sense, he's killed all these men. And what does he have to show for it? He's even lost the madame who he loves, but she literally shuns away from him when he goes to reach for her at the very end of the film and doesn't want anything to do with him because she's so distraught. That from having lost her husband and seen him murdered in front of her eyes, as well as the king, he becomes 
almost a empty shell at that moment. And he just becomes what the commander was. Yeah, what the king and the commander were pretty much. Yeah. So he fought so hard to become that which he hates because he's again, he starts out as a peasant taken off the streets, thrown into this life of you're my body double to prevent anything from happening to me. The commander takes this kid off the streets, makes him his double, and then the double becomes him and inevitably loses himself in the process in a certain hmm, way. In a, in a certain way. Before? I know. <laughs> right? Star Wars? Star perhaps? Wars. Hmm. Hmm, I wonder if Lucas was really, uh, you know, influenced by this. It probably was. But yeah, that's another one of those those stories that you see throughout film in many different ways. You see that type of person rises to the top and then becomes basically what they were trying to get rid of the whole time. Star Wars came before Shadow, of course, but I mean, Dragon Inn came before both of them. I think so. Yeah. 1967. Yeah. Because uh, 73 or 72 is when the first Star Wars came out, I think. And then when you go to film school, you, you have to watch what's come before to understand how to make films. And I think a lot of the time these directors really draw upon what they've watched and what they've ingested through their lives. As far as literature, it could be films, it could be, you know, just philosophies that are prevalent in their psyche. It all culminates and and then they are able to then express it in their own form of art, which is their own films. In Dragon Inn, the long shot of the soldiers camped outside and the sun rises and it's that beautiful landscape of the inn and you see the soldiers outside just camping out and in the background, the sun rises. That's one of the most gorgeous shots. It's so cinematic. And that was a real shot. That was on location. That was another thing about Dragon Inn. I'm pretty sure most of it was shot on location. Because of budget and also of using what they had at the time. I love the concept because it all takes place at one location. and. Interesting enough, Shadow starts out kind of like that. You're in the palace halls and you're kind of trapped there. And then as we progress through, it opens up and the hero then is able to go on an adventure. Kind of similar to Dragon Inn where you're trapped in this location and it opens up into the world and they go out into the world and are able to go on a quest in a sense. Yeah, and in both films, you have good and evil in the same building. Shadow, exactly. you know, not as not as evil... In, re- evil, in regards to the evil <laughs> in evil. regards to the king but he is evil you know he's not a good person yeah he's kind of a dick <laughs> yeah he I is. mean, honestly if you want to put it that way yeah he, he literally is because he treats his sister like a thing and is trying to marry her off to some random general's kid who he just wants to form an alliance with so they don't, won't go to war and cares nothing for his subjects especially the commander who he forces to play the zither with his wife which is kind of creepy but again you have that evil and and good under the same roof and i think there's the hints of dragon in coming into the shadow there where you have this one location where evil and good all meet but it's up to the hero to then overcome that evil and break free from the prison he's in yeah you know how the commander is down in the cave right i find that kind of interesting as well so He's in the cave because, you know, he's basically hiding out type of thing. And at the end, he returns to his rightful place, so he thinks, but then dies. So his journey, I mean, you know, because caves are typically associated with the bottom 
you know, the palace is much more on top. But at the end of the day, that journey still ended. And, and you could say the same for, same for Jing's journey, except for in regards to Jing, he is at the top now. He started in the cave. He returns to the top. But when he gets there. Yeah, it, it's kind of like Jing, because he had a righteous heart, he was able to stay at the top and live. I don't know about you, but like I, I associate in regards to villains and such, like caves, if, if you're in a cave, I typically don't think you're a very nice person. Either that or you're somebody that's, you know... He's creepy. He, tr- he, yeah. He's literally manipulating everyone from this cave. He's literally almost like a hermit. He has no status. He has no... He's a pauper. And even Jing is stripped of his rank by the king and is reduced to that lifestyle. But then he then overcomes it because he then challenges the general that needs to be defeated and inevitably wins and then is able to then, in the eyes of the people, come back and reclaim his throne and sit beside the emperor. But the commander doesn't get that option. He has to resort to conniving and also remaining in the shadows. The cave fight scene where the commander is training with Jing and he's using the umbrella with the with the stick and he's holding on to Madame is beautiful because when they hit the rain, um, or when they hit the water, excuse me, the choreography. Oh my is, goodness! Oh my, yeah, the choreography in that shot or in that scene is just gorgeous because uh, they slow it down when he, there's skimming across the water and they're twirling through the air and the water. It's it, it's just got this beautiful zen like feel to it which is yin and yang are meant to balance each other out so it makes perfect sense looky there we we're putting the puzzle pieces together or the detectives dead government <laughs> and we will find the truth in these films <laughs> dun, dun. Dun, dun. and then the other one i have to put the umbrella scene where jing opens the umbrella for the first time and spins it that's that's just cool. It was so bad. With the rain falling down and he's in the straw <laughs> hat. Like, come on. It had this very Matrix moment, like when Neo fights Agent Smith for the last time, and it's just the just knockout type of fight. And, you know, just the same in this uh moment where he's fighting the general and it's uh where where Jing is. And again, choreography really comes into play in both films. It's in its infancy in Dragon Inn, the fighting choreography, but then I feel Shadow it has fully come to fruition where these are masters at their craft and they're able to just create these beautiful pieces of work in the fighting style that is being shown on camera. And I know we always tie everything back to humanity. Yes. You know, <laughs> why not? Film does that. And this one is, you know, a little bit less. This one's more of, you know, an epic and ac- both of them more action epic. For me, from Shadow, I got the, you know, the importance of just having balance in your life, how crucial that is to a person's well being mentally and physically. Exactly. I mean, having balance in your life and not seeking revenge and not allowing ourselves to be overcome by hate really plays into Shadow. And then with Dragon Inn, I would say more the moral of that story was a little more simplistic, a little less deep (laughs) because, you know, I I felt like it was more of a experimental piece where they were trying things. And the moral really is you have to imbibe some of the hero's chivalrousness in your own life because in order to be a good person, in order to overcome evil in the world. I would say Dragon Inn is that overcoming the evil, despite how many people you have to fight in the process, 
you must overcome. Or even yourself. That too. It, it could also be a, a symbol for um, the... Because they did say in Dragon Inn that the opposing evil force, the emperor, was basically China at that time was, I think it's during the uh, the Qing dynasty. These soldiers are literally under the rule of eunuchs. They even say the eunuchs. And it's almost a metaphor for men who have no honor and have been stripped of their humanity. And I think that's kind of what they're saying with who they've placed as the opposing force. And then the heroes are children of an executed general, and they have to overcome and seek help from these great martial arts and their own heroes. It almost has like a banding together, uh, sort of like Seven Samurai, where, you know, the band comes together and has to then defeat the opposing force, despite all odds, because they fight together and stick together, they are then able to overcome evil itself. Yeah. And I think we have two films right here that tell beautiful stories about humanity and they also really explore just different ways of filmmaking if you like this episode follow us on social media at film detectives for further news and upcoming shows join us next week as we explore filmmakers from around the world thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.